And have you had to deal lately with financing, getting a mortgage, or refinancing a house? Interesting deal, isn't it? Uh, basically, in order to get a loan these days, now, when, when I, the first house I bought back in the 80s, man, I, it jumped through hoops, stand on your head. You know, this was like in 1986, if you remember what was going on about then. Interest rates were like 15%. And, uh, and uh, I was just coming out of seminary trying to buy a house in Oklahoma City, and I had to basically prove that I didn't need the money in order to get the money. Uh, it, it was just, it, it's still a little bit that way, not as bad as it was, and, and from what happened a couple of years ago, rightfully so. Uh, but uh, basically when you're either financing or refinancing a house, there are ob obligations and benefits for both parties. Potential homeowners get the funds that are necessary to buy the house while the lender benefits by receiving the loan back with interest. Um, what I recognize, though, and I recognize this even, even a year and a half or so ago when I refinanced our home, is once the, the deal is done, all the paperwork's been signed, you realize that, that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is kind of, become true. The old is gone and the new has come. I mean, literally, uh, what has happened uh, before, your loan number, uh, the loan amount, uh, your payment amount, maybe even the company to whom you pay, all that stuff has changed. And now I've got a new situation uh, with, the, with the new mortgage number and a new payment amount and all that stuff. And by the way, heaven forbid you forget some of that stuff. Or, uh, or misplace it and all that. You, you kind of got that. Set. I had an interesting thing this, with this latest refi that, that happened. I uh, started calling the, the loan company a couple of weeks before my first payment was due because I had not been assigned a loan number. And uh, um, I, I literally had a check in my hand but didn't know uh, kind of where to send it. I mean, it was like, okay, I could send it to you guys, but it's going to get lost. And, uh, and actually, that kind of happened at one time, um, which is a little scary. Um, but the idea here is when something, uh, when, you, when you're kind of redoing something like that, um, an old mortgage is finished, the new mortgage is in effect. And in, in my case, as maybe it has been with you when you're negotiating for something for a lower rate or whatever, newer is better. Well, we're going to talk about some things about the covenant of God, and that's a different kind of covenant. Covenants in the Bible also feature agreements that express or apply obligations and benefits between parties. And uh, the most important covenants in the Bible are those between God and his people. And we're going to also talk about uh, that old covenant, and we're going to talk about uh, in Jeremiah 32 how uh, Jeremiah is promising there is a new covenant coming. There's a new arrangement coming. Now, I need to stop just for a minute because I promised Joanne I would give her a minute, and I completely forgot until I caught your eye a minute ago. Um, new lunch groups are forming, need to get a hold of you. Or do we start just right away? Uh, uh, email them out. Okay, so if they signed up, they're already, all, the information's already emailed out. She brought you some copies. If you didn't get an email of what group you're in and what to do and all that, get a hold of Joanne right after class and she'll get that to you. Sorry, Joanne. You're much more important to me than that. I just forgot. Um, now, and that project's much more important to me. 
The first mention of the word covenant in the Bible actually is uh, God's covenant to Noah. Uh, when, when I started reading this, and that, that happens in, over in Genesis 6 and Genesis 9, when I first started thinking about this, I thought, well, the first covenant talked about in the Bible is with, with Abraham, but actually it predates Abraham by several generations. Uh, this followed other following after that were other God-to-human covenants like the one with Abraham and with his descendants Isaac and Jacob and uh, with the people of Israel after their departure from Egypt and then with King David um, in about 1,000 B.C. The covenants after Noah reflect the progress of the people of God from a family group that's just headed by Abraham to uh, a developed nation with a king and land and capital city and temple, and yet there's still a, there's a covenant that, that kind of is woven through all that, and God renews the covenant several times. Uh, there's a big picture here to keep in mind. Um, God, the God of Israel is the one who's known, um, uh, the one in, in history here who is known to keep his promises, to keep his covenant, that would distinguish him from um, the fictitious gods of other nations around them, gods who are fickle and they might uh, withhold blessings from them, at least in their perception, on a whim. Uh, even when I read, read that, I thought, well, some, fic some fictitious god uh, kind of serendipitously withholds uh, blessings on a whim. Then I'm thinking, that's just what they thought. Because if you remember, the whole story of the Old Testament and what is being taught by the Lord God is, Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is only one. So these fictitious gods, that was just their perception of what was going on around them. The God of Israel, by contrast, promised sure blessings in exchange for faithful obedience. And, uh, and he gave clearly established terms of the covenant. Now, you and I know that, that Israel and later Judah, uh, a part of that original family, Frequently disobeyed. They frequently violated the terms of the covenant. But we've also got to notice this, and I have, I've never really thought about this until I began to read about it this week. In many ways, the covenants of the Old Testament were not two-way, they were one-way. Uh, let's think about this for just a second. Uh, there were kind of one-sided affairs in a couple of ways. First, God established the terms. You and I don't get to negotiate the terms. Okay, uh, at the bank, I might get to negotiate a little bit. If I do this, can I get my, can I pay my interest rate down? You know that kind of thing. In this sense, God establishes the terms. There's no give and take negotiation. Second, and this is so much, uh, this is true and so very important. Uh, the other way, the other really important way that God's covenants, that are the covenants that we read about in the Old Testament, are kind of one way instead of two way, is that God always keeps his side of the covenant. Often humans don't. We read about that. That's kind of the history of the Old Testament, isn't it? And by the time we get to the period of history that into, into which Jeremiah is speaking, um, God has just about given up. And yet he's still maintaining his promise to them. But he's saying the day is coming, and we talked about it last week, where uh, many of these things are going to go away because... Um, because I've just got to get you back into this covenantal relationship with myself. So when we read last week in Jeremiah 31, it mostly speaks of a time of restoration that's coming in the future after exile. It won't come until the year 538 B.C. Uh, when they return to Jerusalem and the exile is ended. 
and yet we look into that future. So, as we begin to read today, we're going to start in chapter 31 and read um, um, the verse 31 and 32. Um, as, as we look at this, we're looking into the future. Bob, can I get you to read verse 31 and 32 from chapter 31? I've been saying 32, I meant 31. He's talking about he's a husband to them. We've got to catch this. Now, the first word they've got to put in the blank here is this passage is clearly a look, not at present day. It's a look into the future. Okay, now catch this. And we're going to try to kind of come to terms with how far in the future. But I'm going to submit to you that he's talking about a day that's far beyond their lives in the 6th century B.C. He's talking about far into the future. All right? Now, let's look at a couple of things here, okay? Would somebody go over to 50 and read verse 4 and 5? Who will get that one? Thank you. And if somebody would go to Isaiah 42 and read verse 9 and 10. John, would you get that one? Cindy, did I see your hand? Would you go to Luke 22:20? 20? Okay, we're going to look at this future thought here. Um, now, this word that he uses or this expression that the Lord uses, uh, that Jeremiah uses, um, as God motivates him to do so, the idea of a new covenant, now think about this for a second, is only found in Jeremiah 31. It is hinted at in other places, okay? It sounds like it's pretty important, doesn't it? Okay, now let's look. Um, let's go to, to uh, chapter 50, verse 4 and 5. Stella? Now, do you hear hinted in here, there's an everlasting, renewed covenant coming. But the word new covenant's not used, okay? It's really, really important here. Um, now, who is it that got Isaiah 42, 9 and 10? Thanks, John. So it's talking about a covenant that gets renewed. It's got new aspects of it, but it's not called a new covenant except here in 31. Now, there's another place, but talk about far in the future. It's 600 years or so in the future. And Jesus is going to use this similar uh, language. You're going to remember it as you hear Cindy read it. Isn't it interesting that the Lord Jesus, when he's initiating Holy Communion, that's the context, right? The Lord's Supper in the, in the upper room on Thursday, the last week of his, of his earthly life, that we reenact once a month at least here, and we did last Sunday, right? 
How does what Jesus talk here about his blood that's getting ready to be shed? As he hands them the cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. So he kind of ties all this up. I think, is it too much of a stretch for me to say? I think the Lord Jesus is saying, the new covenant's here. You might have looked at, it might have been renewed and renewed and renewed. And by the way, God always kept up with his part of the bargain. Those it was given to never did. Uh, although there are remnants of people who did. But then in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus hands them the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's, it's that beautiful thought new. Now, isn't it true that when you and I read in advertising in our day, new and improved doesn't always mean better. Uh, am I right? Gene Butenhoff used to be in the packaging business. For how long, Gene? Uh, I'm sorry, that's a long time. I shouldn't have put you in. That makes you sound older than you are. But when I first knew Gene, he ran a, 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 a box company, a packaging business that, was, that he had worked for for years and years all over the country. And, and, but what made me think of that is often... When someone stamped new and improved on the box, there wasn't anything really new and improved about it except the box, right? <laughs> the packaging was all that really changed. I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to understand why last year's mattress is any better than this year's mattress. And yet, they'll entice you that you need to kind of do something brand new here. Um, um, some of us who are car guys recognize that that older is sometimes better, you know? And yet, we've got to come to terms with what this means. Now, would some, go with me. Everybody go with me if you would. Just kind of keep your finger there in Jeremiah. Go to Hebrews 8, almost to the end of the New Testament. If you get to Revelation, you've gone a little too far. Come back left. The book of Hebrews is telling us that whole book is really dealing with the thought that the new covenant is better. Don't be looking for another savior. I've sent you the best there is ever yet to come. All right? So look, look at 8. Somebody got 813 there? By calling the old one, the, this one new, Jesus says, the new covenant in my blood, when he hands him the cup, it makes the old one obsolete. Don't try to pay your new, new, newly um, uh, established mortgage with the old coupon. That'll mess you up big time. Uh, don't send a check in your old coupon. Send the new one in, right? The, the Hebrews writer is saying, a couple of things here that are really important that Jan read. When the new comes, the old is no longer as good and it's no longer valid. It has gone away. That's a really important concept for us to catch here. We're looking into the future here. What you and I need to know is that as Jesus identifies the blood 
of the new covenant in the cup that's getting ready to be shed on the next night after he's arrested on Thursday night. What you and I need to recognize by that, about that, is that Jesus, through his sacrificial blood, finally deals with your sin problem and mine forever. It didn't really get dealt with in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, the Hebrews writer in another spot is going to say, for, now let's catch this. You remember year by year? They offered a blood sacrifice for what reason? To deal with my sin? And yet the Hebrews writer says, the blood of bulls and goats never did take away sin. It never dealt with the problem. It just kind of got us ready for the new covenant in his blood that now deals forever with my sin. Now that ought to make you rejoice. We're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness. This establishes the whole idea and the possibility of forgiveness. Okay? Now, interestingly, verse 32, if we'll go back to verse 32 here in, Hebrews 30, in, in Jeremiah 31, uh, it's going to say, he's going to talk about provocation and those kind of things. Uh, because, he says the right page here. Um, <laughs> Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. How soon did they break the covenant that God established with them? Uh, through the hands of Moses up on Sinai. You could argue, and the word I want us to put here is the word early. The word, you could argue they broke the covenant before they ever got it. Moses was still up on the mountain when they made that calf. Still. He's still up on the mountain. God's still writing on the tablets with his finger. They've already broken it before they ever officially received it. You know, so they, they, and they defied it early and often, you could argue. So he's saying, even though I've been a husband to you. Now, I want you to catch the imagery here because God's going to use it a lot in the Old Testament. The image of God as the faithful husband and the nation or the people as an unfaithful wife. Okay, just understand that. He's going to refer to that here and in several places. In the scriptures. All right, now, let's go to the next section. Bob, since you only read two verses, going to get you to go back and read verse 33 and 34. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 and 34. Isn't it good stuff? Now, let's. I've got four or five verses I need us to catch here in just a minute. Somebody go to Deuteronomy 32, 46. 
That's going to be uh, back to the left a little bit. Thank you, Karen. Uh, Psalm 37:31. Thank you, Eileen. And then um, uh, we need somebody needs to get, if you will, Isaiah 53:4. Okay, Ruth. Okay, we're good. We kind of hang on to those, and we'll work work our way through. God had always intended. Now, by the way, there are five I wills that God's going to do here. Okay. First one he says is I'm going to write my law not on stone but on what? On your hearts and on your minds. Okay? So the idea here that you and I've got to catch is this is not a new idea. The old law was on tablets of stone, he says. But I don't think there was ever an intent here for that law to just, just exist or just stay on Stone. Let's read a couple of things that kind of indicate that. Deuteronomy 32, 46. He said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. Okay. Now, now catch that. Read that first part again, Karen. He said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day. Take to heart. He always intended for them to take that to heart. This was Deuteronomy shortly after uh, the original covenant was given. Um, Psalm 37, 31. Who's got that? The law of his God is in his heart. His feet do not slip. Okay. David writes 400 years before, before Jeremiah's dealing with this. That the law of God ought to live in my heart. Um, Psalm 119 that you probably memorized when you were in Bible school. I, will, I have hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I think God's intent all along was for the law of God to not exist only on tablets of stone. And so what he, in the new covenant he's talking about here, he's saying I'm going to do a new thing. And the way I'm going to do it this time is going to, going to work. It, it just for some reason, it just didn't, didn't let, take logic. How many of you remember uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. How long ago was that? In the 80s, maybe? Uh, and who was the star? Who was Indiana Jones? Harrison Ford. Okay. And he's running and jumping and whipping and, you know, doing all that stuff. Well, you're, what was the problem? What were they looking for? They were looking for the Ark of the Covenant, which had in it, among other things, supposedly those original stone tablets. But somebody had raided the Ark, right? What I'm going to say is the Ark of God is now in your heart. And often, even in the Old Testament, the idea, and certainly with us, Somebody has raided the ark, stolen the law away from my heart. By the way, you know that they have talked about doing another Indiana Jones movie, but they're afraid that Indiana Jones will break a hip trying to do some of the same things he did 40 years ago. Oh, that was, Harrison Ford will never send me a Christmas card again, Larry. Well, you know, he was do it like tripped over a Wookiee or something and broke a leg and was trying to do the new Star Wars thing. So, I don't know, he tripped over, right? Tripped over, maybe he tripped over one of those little fuzzy guys. 
What were they? Ewoks? Maybe he tripped up. Anyway, broke his, they had to put on, they had to stop filming for a while because he broke his foot. All right, now, God always intended for the old covenant to make its way to our heart. He's saying now, I'm going to write it on your heart. It's going to make that all-important 18 inches journey from your mind to your heart. I'm going to write it on your heart, and I'm going to write it uh, on your minds. And then the second half of verse 33, he says um, that he's, gonna, he's not just going to give it or speak it. Or he's not just going to hand it to somebody on tablets of stone. He's going to literally, with his finger, he's going to write it there. He's always intended for it to be there. Now he's going to write it there. In verse 34, uh, he kind of harkens back to what we talked about last week. I will be your God, you will be my people. He will create his own people. A third I will. So he's going to write it on your hearts, going to write it on your mind. He's going to write it himself there. He's going to create his own people. Somebody read Isaiah 53, 4. Let's look for the fourth thing he's going to I will do. He bore your sins, Peter says, in his body on the tree. Yet, as we look at him, as, as he was looked at, they considered him stricken of God, smitten of God, and afflicted. Uh, the idea here is, number four, he will forgive. And it's a parallel expression of one thought. He's going to forgive, and then he's, the idea is he's going to forget. Forgiving and not remembering are the same thought here. He no longer holds our sins against us. Now, I put a reference in there to John 1.29, one of the beautiful passages of the early, uh, kind of the dawning of the gospel as John the Baptist is preaching by the Jordan and baptizing people for the, for the remission of their sins, for the forgiveness of their sins as they come to repent. He was a strong preacher. Tens of thousands of people were following him. And yet on this particular day, as, as he identifies uh, the Messiah here in John 1, Jesus comes to the Jordan to be baptized himself by John. And John says this, if you remember, Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. Not just forgiveness, but removal. Okay, so I was in a neighbor's garage yesterday. And it looked like all his garbage he had just kind of gathered in the garage. There's a stack of sacks and sacks of grass. Give the guy credit. He runs a grass business, runs a mowing business. And so he had lots of this stuff, lots of bags of grass clippings in his garage. And I'm thinking, you know, eventually that's going to not be a good thing. <laughs> Wouldn't it be better to have someone take the trash out? You know, that's what Jesus did for you and me and what he did for us on the cross. 
It, it's not like my sin stays with me and I just kind of redeal with it every Saturday night. Or Sunday morning, as the case may be. He removes it. It says he forgives and he no longer remembers it. Can I tell you? Nobody is going to give you a better offer than this. You're never going to get a better deal than this. I don't have to live it with my life and deal with regret anymore. I can give it to him and he takes the garbage out here. And it's one of the things we've got to kind of determine here and understand, as even as Jeremiah talks about it, it is all his doing by his magnanimous, magnanimous, wonderful grace. He takes the garbage out of my life. Now, let's go on to verse 35. Steve, uh, well, I lost Steve. He can't do it. Cindy, can I ask you to fill in for him? Read verse 35, 6, and 7. He talks about the order in creation here. He's going to reference here the order of creation. We'll get to that in just a minute. And he's going to call God, literally in the original language, he's going to call him Lord Sabaoth. Have you heard that before? In the 1500s, when uh, Martin Luther was, was uh, kind of... Uh, reorganizing and, and, and renewing the church. He, he writes um, a humanly composed hymn, one that he wrote himself. In fact, he wrote uh, all of the poetry and wrote the music as well. Uh, you and I sing it as a mighty fortress is our God. In, in its original language, it was Ein feste Burg es unser Gott. Sorry, don't ask me how I know that. I, at one point, I had to know that in order to pass a test, I'm sure. Okay? Einfesterberg is this idea. Lord Sabaoth is his name. It's the idea of the Lord of hosts. What host? It's the idea of an angelic army that needs a leader. And guess who it is? It's the one who went to the cross for you. Lord Sabaoth. Uh, it, it's probably translated in your Bibles here, the Lord God Almighty. He's in charge. Now, if he's in charge, then I can say this, and here's what goes in your blank. He's in control even when my life is not. When my life is chaotic, he is still in control. You remember, he is Lord Sabaoth, the Lord God Almighty. He's in control. My life is not. And his promise here, as Jeremiah talks about it, is undergirded by the orderliness of, of God's creation. Good, you, good luck uh, spelling that. Orderliness. Okay? The way the, the creation sets up here. Uh, notice the language that he uses here in verse uh, 35 and 36 and in that section. If this fixed order departs, 
then the offspring of Israel also cease from being a nation before me. The idea, who gives the sun for light by day, the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so the waves roar. I went to bed last night, there was a moon and no sun. Guess what? When I got up this morning, there was a sun and no moon. Well, does that happen every day? You bet your boots it does. And God, God even invokes his own orderliness here. And he says, you know what? If I ever give up on you, it'll be when that stops happening. Isn't that wonderful? Just as you can depend on the sun to rise, you can depend on me, he says. And then he begins to talk about our own limitations here. Thus says the Lord, verse 37, the heavens above can be measured, the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all those offspring of Israel. Can you and I measure the universe? Let me give you some things here. Jeremiah's audience would have been astounded to know what we know about God's creation. They didn't know that Mount Everest towers 29,000 feet above sea level. They didn't know that its height is matched, more than matched, by the depths of the Marianas Trench in the Pacific Ocean. They didn't know that stuff. There's no way they could have measured that. And frankly, there's no way you and I can. They would have been surprised to learn that the universe is populated by as many as 70 sextillion stars. That's seven with 22 zeros after it. They didn't know that. They just knew when they looked up at the night sky, there was a bunch of them. You and I have got to be like Clint Eastwood. Louisa's saying, where's he going with this? You know, a man's got to know his limitations. We've got to know our limitations. And our limit, that's what word goes in that blank there. We must acknowledge the limitations of our knowledge. Now, here's the final stuff I'll say about this uh, new covenant that you and I live under. It's not based on law. Not based on law. If that was the case, the old law would still be in effect. Not based on law. It's not based on biology. Who my mom and dad were. Okay? Not based on biology. By the way, if it's based on biology, then Travis is going to be a lot farther down the road than me. Did you have a biology test this week? Yeah. Did you do okay? He set the curve in the class, I'm sure. I got top grade. I got top grade. See, I knew he would. I'm telling you, I'm going to let him nurse my gallbladder when I'm in my older age, when he becomes a doctor. All right? It's not biology, though, that this new covenant is governed by. It's governed by faith. He's going to put a couple of references to the book of Romans in there that are a little cryptic, but it helps me to understand Jeremiah when he says, not all that... that that are Israel by blood are Israel. It's going to be established by what you believe. Okay? What you and I need to understand is this: there's not a bad covenant and a good covenant. There's an old one and new one. Then The old covenant is quoted hundreds of times in the Old Testament. But if you and I are going to follow him, it won't be because... Of the law. It won't be because of biology. It'll be because of faith. And here's my question Who are you going to trust today? I'm going to submit for you to trust Lord 
God Sabaoth. The one who is going to make sure that there's a moon tonight and a sun in the morning and stars in their place. He doesn't have to check in with you and me about putting those things in place. That's just who he is. He takes care of things. And can I make you a promise? He will take care of you. He'll take care of you. Read ahead, if you will, to Jeremiah 32 and 33. We'll be in there next week. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Good to see you.